You're listening to a Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Podcast. Oh, they will know we are Christians by the big sweaty cocks we force into the mouths of 11-year-old boys. Maybe you're all following this, the uh, controversy roiling the Catholic Church. Surprise! It's child rape. No one could have seen that coming. The controversies in America, the eruption of the clergy sex abuse scandals, then Ireland where the archbishop may have to resign because years ago when two children were raped by a Catholic priest, the archbishop of Ireland, Archbishop Brady, forced both boys to sign vows of silence never to report their abuse to the authorities. And it turns out that when the current pope, Ratzinger, Benedict, was the Archbishop of Munich, there was a rapey priest who raped an 11-year-old boy, forced a boy to perform oral sex on him, and Ratzinger, of course, didn't report the priest to the authorities, um, sent him off for therapy and then reassigned him to a new parish where he raped more kids. And uh, this priest was eventually removed uh, from pastoral duties as in three days ago, four days ago, when the scandal broke and it uh, landed at the feet of the Pope. And, you know, a, a little, you know, for balance, a little non-Catholic church sex scandal a man from Minnesota was arrested this week because he was pimping his wife on Craigslist. Uh, she went to the Polaris National Sex Trafficking Hotline because she was worried because her husband was angry that she hadn't made enough money during a week stint in Chicago where he'd put her in a hotel. And the man was threatening her and threatening their daughter. And so she went to the authorities who then arrested the husband. Where did this charming piece of shit meet his wife? Danner met his wife five years ago, writes the Chicago Sun-Times, when she was 17 and he was a 27-year-old church youth counselor. By then, by the time he became a church youth counselor, Danner already had a string of felony convictions in Minnesota, where he was a church youth counselor, including two burglary convictions, a lottery fraud conviction, and a drug conviction. The Chicago Sun-Times is too nice to name the church in Minnesota that allowed Danner a man with a string of felony convictions to serve as a youth counselor slash pimp to its teenage congregants. Uh, presumably, is not a Catholic church. So just, you know, as a fag, and I had to always bring this back to like me being a fag, but as a fag, as, you know, the boogeyman that religious people are always talking about, coming for your children, going to recruit your children, that we rape children, to be accused of that by... Really, Child Rape Incorporated, which is a division of organized religion and a very large division of organized religion, to constantly be accused of coming for the kids by the people who are coming in the kids' 11-year-old mouths. It's a bit galling. It's a bit galling. Andrew Sullivan has called on the Pope to resign. I think the Pope should resign. I think the Pope should be in prison is where the Pope should be. With this Danner character. And you know where your kids should be? They should not be at a church youth group retreat. They should not be in the company of anybody with a clerical collar. Ever. If priests and youth counselors and uh, pastors were sharks, 
You know, there's three shark attacks in Florida. There are millions of sharks in the ocean. Three shark attacks in Florida. No one will go in the water. Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of children raped in churches and people still send their kids to church. It's crazy. You should be sending your kids to gay bars. There they will be safe. This episode is brought to you by AdamandEve.com where you can find over 18,000 adult entertainment products for every lifestyle. To receive 50% off most any item plus three adult DVDs plus an extra gift plus free shipping, visit AdamandEve.com and enter Savage at checkout. Hi, Dan. I um, have kind of an odd question. There was this head shop near my college campus where they sold porno videos wrapped in, you know, wrapping paper or pieces of phone book pages or whatever. And it was called mystery porn. And you would pay $2, you would take it home, you would open it up, and you would get whatever kind of porn happened to be in there. Um, Eventually, the store closed, and we ended up buying out their entire stock for, like, $15 for, like, 60 tapes. And it was really fun. We would, you know, we'd all get drunk and, you know, whatever, and watch them at, at parties and stuff. And I was just wondering, is there anywhere else where you can buy something like this, preferably in bulk because it was so much fun and I kind of miss it because we have since run out of unopened mystery porn. I'll get to your question in a second. Unrelated development, Unzipped Magazine closed this week. It was one of the few remaining gay porn magazines out there. It joins in uh, the ash heap of history. Black Inches, Honcho, Inches, Latin Inches, Mandate, Playguy, Torso, all these magazines, Drummer, that have all gone the way of all things. Which just goes to show you that people don't buy porn mags anymore and increasingly people don't buy porn DVDs anymore, which means they're not produced in mass uh, because everyone goes online now to get their random porn. And if you want that experience of totally random, oh my god, what the fuck porn, there is now chat roulette for you where you can watch all sorts of weirdos all over the world masturbating. But I think the days of the little shrink-wrapped plastic packet of mystery porn because there's some porn company that made too many anal gangbang 12s and – uh, she's got a suck it 42s and now they're selling them in bulk to get rid of them. Those days are over and gone and gone forever. I'm sorry to say you have to go online now for random porn. Many cities, including the one where I live, don't really even have the kind of sleazy downtown sex shop porn shops anymore that carried that kind of merchandise. It's a brave new world. The internet has ruined everything. Hey, Dan. Uh, I have a question for you. Uh, My girlfriend and I are looking into some more permanent or long-term forms of birth control. She's been on the pill for, I think she said it was 12 years. Um, So it's about time to drop the hormones and move on with something else. Either one of us are looking to have kids. Um, We both discussed it kind of at length and given it enough time. And I don't see either one of us kind of changing our minds. Um, Not that if we did, we couldn't do something like adopt or something. Um, But she started looking into IUDs, and I started looking into vasectomies. Part of the problem that we're having, um, or at least that I'm having with vasectomies, is that, um, well, one one of the side effects, they say, is chronic testicular pain. Um, And some of those people only find relief through castration. Um, I think you can see the obvious problem with that. Uh, I'm not totally looking forward to, you know, to having that kind of outcome. I'm not totally sure how prevalent it is or you know, what they do about that, but um, any information you can have on that, 
the other part of it is that um, a lot of our sex or part of our sex life deals with um, facials. We're both big into facials and, and come play, um, and they totally kind of gloss over, you know, what changes happen to semen. And they just say, you know, there's no change to the quality of your semen. And I'm just having kind of a hard time dealing with with that. I don't, I don't see how it changes nothing. No changes in color or quantity, you know, consistency, taste, nothing. Um, it just seems like that can't be totally true when they're just kind of saying that. So your girlfriend's been taking hormonal birth control for 12 years, a dozen years. And there are risks and there are potential side effects that can be very debilitating, including diminished libido. I'll let you wiki that yourself. And you're afraid of getting a vasectomy. If what you want over the long term is sex without risk of children, really the vasectomy is your best option. Your fears are irrational uh, and infantile. Sperm, what is pumped out by your balls, what a vasectomy prevents from being mixed with your seminal fluid, is about 2% of your spunk. Removing that from your spunk isn't going to change the taste, texture, nothing. It may change the sort of symbolic weight of your semen because your swimmers aren't in there because it isn't baby batter anymore. And for some men, that's important, even men who are using birth control, the sort of what their sperm could do, its potential to create life, its power, that is gone. And some men do find that emasculating. And some men report after vasectomy, a very small percentage, that they experience decreased sexual desire. And often when that is unpacked, what it arrives at is the sperm isn't this, you know, magic baby making fairy spunk anymore. It's just pleasure goo or whatever you want to call it. If you can't do it, if you cannot get a vasectomy because your sex life will be so diminished by the elimination of the potential to create life with your magic fairy goo, fine. Just be honest about it. Don't elevate really low-risk potential side effects, including castration, which I've never heard of in my life until your call. Uh, to, don't blow them up out of all proportion to justify your reluctance to get a vasectomy. You can own it. I don't want to get a vasectomy because it's important to my sexual expression that even if we aren't having to have babies, my spunk can make them. That, 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 if that has symbolic erotic weight for you and importance to you, embrace it and embrace it honestly. Don't, again, blow up minor potential side effects to, to, to vasectomies to, to justify your infantile attachment to the 2% of your semen that is sperm. And just honestly shift responsibility back to your girlfriend's shoulders for your birth control. And if you end up knocking her up by accident, well, tough fucking shit then. Hi, Dan. Uh, I'm calling because I have a question about uh, sort of the politics of finding a third for a threesome. My partner and I have been together for about, um, well, going on three years now. And uh, we had a, a threesome about a year ago with uh, one of his best friends. And, well, there was a little bit of drama involved, but uh, sort of in, in the meantime, I've decided that, it, that even though it made me a little bit jealous, that it was a good idea because it increased both of our sex drives. Well, uh, recently, uh, one of his best friends uh, has uh, decided that she would like to sleep with us. And so we're trying to decide whether or not we want to do it. And theoretically, uh, I'm really game because uh, I, I like the idea of having a threesome. But what makes me uncomfortable is that um, she's uh, his best friend. 
and they, um, they're in contact all the time. They, like, for example, talk on the computer all the time, and um, they've been friends since high school, and so it makes me uncomfortable that they have this sort of outside intimate relationship. And uh, we've sort of talked about whether or not this is something that I should be uncomfortable with, because my, my idea of an ideal third would be someone that's a friend, that's an acquaintance, um, that you can sort of limit your contact with after it happens. Whereas um, his idea is someone that you're friends with because he, he likes to have sex with his friends. Um, and so we sort of feel like our, our, our ideas of who we want to have sex with, there's something that we're, we're very much opposed, we have opposing ideas with. So my question for you is, do you think that, um, I, that I'm just being concerned about this for no reason? Is it, is it okay to have sex with like your best friend? Um, or is it, is it a bad idea to have sex with your best friend? The question isn't whether it's okay to have sex with your best friend. The question is whether it's okay with you for him to have sex with his best friend. And the answer, obviously, is no. And that's a limitation that you can reasonably set. Uh, If your primary relationship is you and him, that's your primary – and he acknowledges that as his primary relationship. You're not like polyamorous and – many loves, like it's about you two, you get to decide together. You have to uh, agree and come to consensus on what's a permissible third. And that's all about your comfort level. And their longstanding friendship and longstanding intimacy, really, without any physical contact, unnerves you and makes you feel insecure. And you have to acknowledge that that is an insecurity and it's a little irrational perhaps because if he's known her since high school and there was any potential for a romance there, they would have been romancing each other a long time ago. So acknowledge it as irrational and say, I'm up for three ways, I'm up for threesomes, but she's too close. And that makes me uncomfortable and there's too much contact there uh, and that's going to be ongoing and that makes me uncomfortable and so not her. Open relationships and couples who have three ways, I find and have found uh, from personal experience, it works best when both partners have a veto and both partners completely respect the other partner's veto powers. Your boyfriend should value you as a girlfriend. There's a lot of women out there, a lot of men out there who are not down with the whole having three ways thing. It's an insanely common heterosexual male fantasy. With you as his girlfriend, he is able to live it out uh, and live it out again and again. But for you to participate in that, for him to live out those fantasies, he needs to respect your feelings. He needs to accommodate your insecurities a bit. And you are allowed a bit of, uh, you know, irrational veto tossing around. And you're vetoing her. And that's within your rights and he should be down with it. Looking to spice things up in the bedroom? Fantasizing about surprising your lover with an adventurous new toy or adult movie? Well, here's an offer you won't be able to resist. Go to adamandeve.com. For a limited time only, you'll get 50% off just about any item. And that's not all. There's more. You'll also receive three free adult DVDs plus a free extra gift plus free shipping on your entire order. Check out adamandeve.com today for this special offer. That's adamandeve.com and enter SAVAGE at checkout. Hi, Dan. I have a question about um, the Q that seems to have cropped up in the LGBT acronym. I've seen now LGBTQ for quite a while. I can only assume it means queer, but I'm wondering why it's there all of a sudden. I don't understand. I'm not 
part of the LGBTQ community, so to speak, and I I always thought queer was inclusive of LGBT. Um, I don't understand why it needs to be added. And likewise, I was listening recently to an older podcast from last November, I think it was 162, where a woman calls in and identifies herself as queer and then goes on to describe a problem she's having with her boyfriend. And I always thought queer meant gay or lesbian. I didn't know that that included bisexual. LGBTQ, where have you been? We are so past LGBTQ. It is now LGBTQTSLF, uh, another Q for questioning. Uh, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, two-spirited, leather fetish, uh, la la la. We should just, you know, make it the alphabet song already and be done with it. Queer, what queer means, you know, a girl can have a boyfriend and be bisexual and bisexually identified. A lot of people who are don't consider themselves straight but may end up in opposite sex relationships don't like the word bisexual. They feel that they want to be under, you know, an umbrella that is inclusive of lesbian, gay, trans, leather, fetish, whatevs. And queer does that. Queer is the umbrella term that encompasses us all. Now, some people are not comfortable with that term. They don't want to be lumped in. They want their identity to be, you know, more narrowly focused. And so when they tell you what they are, they want you to have a better idea. I'm a lesbian, says I only sleep with girls and I'm a girl. I'm queer, says God only knows what. I've met basically straight queer identified people because they feel an emotional uh, allegiance uh, and a political allegiance to the LGBTQ whatever movement community. And they identify as queer as allies. Oh, that's another that's another letter in the acronym string right now. Uh, a for allies. Why ask why? There are queer identified folks out there. God bless them. We need more of them. I'm all for queer identified, basically straight people. Uh, and uh, I've used the word uh, to describe myself at times. And I think it's perfectly fine. And you shouldn't stress about it too much. Hi, Dan. This is Allison. Uh, I'm calling on behalf of my partner's little brother. We're, we're worried about him. He's 17. He doesn't show any interest in girls or boys. Um, his parents have expressed that they just wish he would show interest in somebody. His mom's really sweet, doesn't care if he's gay, just wants him to be happy. Uh, but all he does is sit around play video games. He doesn't have any friends. Uh, I, I taught at his school last semester and he's just really quiet and the girls like to pick on him by showing, by flashing him. And um, they think it's funny because he kind of like squeals and runs away. And we just want to know how, how we can help him be more comfortable with himself and make some friends. Uh, I gave him a, a, sec or a book on human sexuality and he refused to look at it. Um, I just gave it to him, okay, here you go have fun, because I thought he'd enjoy it, and he didn't, and we just want him to be the happy little guy that he's not. You've reached out to him. He sounds like a bit of a social misfit. He may or may not be unhappy. Perhaps he's happy or alone. Perhaps he likes to keep his own counsel. Perhaps he really enjoys those video games. Perhaps he has a whole online community of friends that he plays those all hooked up video games with. And isn't miserable. 
don't assume that he's dying inside just because he's not living the life that you would have him live or the life you lived at 17 or the life that his peers are living at 17. He may blossom in college. He may meet a whole bunch of other people who are very much like him and enjoy the same things he enjoys and find a little community of people to hang out with in real time, not just in virtual space. So just back the fuck off is what I would tell you because you're probably stealing from him his last refuge if you're in his face, in his house, giving him books and trying to draw him out and talk to him. Leave him the fuck alone. You've reached out. You gave him a book. You've let him know. You can try to include him socially. One of the things that sometimes high school age misfits uh, excel at and and enjoy – is hanging out with people who are a little bit older than they are and aren't so sort of plugged into high school's cruelties and politics. And so if you guys are going somewhere or doing something, you can invite him along with your friends and see if he wants to come. But you know if he doesn't want to come, leave him the fuck alone. Give him some space and some time. He knows you're there. You reached out. He knows he can take you up on your offer to help or to point him in the direction of social opportunities and – now it's in his court. So just, just you know, blah, blah, blah. Back the fuck off. Um, I have a question for you that is not a current problem, but it is a current thing that I'm trying to wrap my head around. And it's uh, about the thorny issue of consent that you've been dealing with lately. Um, I was married. I'm actually about to be divorced, but I was married for 10 years to a woman and there was definitely a, a pattern of, I was the more sexually active member of that and and a pattern developed where eventually after having one child, we just didn't really have sex at all unless I brought it up, unless I was instigating it. Um, my former wife considered masturbation to be gross. She considered, uh, sex more often than once every few months to be unnecessary. So that's kind of the sex life I found myself in this marriage. Eventually, there's uh, we get into a situation where uh, in snuggling and cuddling and spooning in bed, um, my cockles rise and I fondle her and she wakes up horny. We fuck she masturbates herself while we're fucking and she comes. Then we go to sleep. And the next morning there's this shroud of shame around me sneaking up on her coming on to her in the middle of the night. So, um, and she says, I don't, you know, don't do that. I don't want that to happen. Um, and then later, a couple nights later, maybe um, I'm telling this story narratively, but it, it went on for a while. Um, same kind of thing would happen. Same kind of thing would happen. She would wake up. She would engage in sex. We would fuck. She would make herself come. It was definitely a mutual thing. So what was happening was there was this pattern of if we, if I did nothing, we had no sex. If I fondled her while she was asleep, we ended up actually having sex, both of us coming, going back to sleep. But then the next morning there was a shroud of shame. In my recollection, one time she woke up and said no, and I stopped immediately. So the point of all this is our marriage is over. She ended up getting, getting furious at me, kicked me out of the bedroom, ended up 
having a relationship with somebody else for six and a half years. I'm in a wonderful, loving GGG 10 year relationship with someone else who thinks that I, my sexuality is a gift to her, not a curse. So I'm so part of, you know, my, my, my head, I'm wrapping my head around my sexuality as pop as a positive thing. Um, but my ex-wife still to this day claims that I was, I'm a rapist. I've raped her and that she said no and that I did it anyway. And to just to be fully honest, she would sometimes say that thing that happens sometimes that's not happening tonight. Don't do that. And I did and we did and she did. And then the next day it was this big problem. So, um, I'm trying to wrap my head around this whole consent issue um, because she's convinced that I'm a rapist and I'm convinced that I, that our sexual dynamic created a situation where uh, there was no sex at all unless I kind of could cajoled it into happening. So this whole coerce, cajole, seduce, uh, implied consent, all that stuff is confusing around this. And I'm, uh, I'm kind of afraid that, um, <clears throat> You know, obviously she said, don't do it. I did it. But, but the result wasn't that she stopped it. The result was that she actually participated in the sex and then later felt bad about it. So I'm, I'm twisted around all this stuff. Oh, okay. Fact I, I, I forgot to put it out. My ex-wife was brutally raped at age 20. I married her. I met her and married her. I met her at age 30. So I know in her history, she is a rape survivor, and that is part of her identity. I mean, I didn't brutally rape anyone, but there is this thing where she's hypersensitive about not being in control of pretty much everything. First, a general note. Sexual compatibility is really important in long-term relationships, particularly marriages. needs to be established before marriage, before kids. Your wife... Uh, thanks for that little detail there at the end about the brutal rape at 20, because that's kind of relevant. Your wife, obviously your ex-wife, was deeply conflicted about sex and had reasons uh, that are completely understandable. Uh, and she had shame issues and she had loss of control issues. And you were aware of these issues. And you we're also aware that the only way you could have any sex in your marriage at all was to initiate this sort of half asleep, half awake dream state, whatever sex that she seemed to enjoy in the moment, but invariably regretted after and was angry about after and after asked you to knock it the fuck off. And the onus was really on you to then knock it the fuck off or in the moment make certain, ascertain that she was fully awake and obtain explicit verbal consent and say, are you sure you want to do this? This is the stuff that usually the morning after you feel bad about. I'm up. I would love to have sex with you, with my wife. I'd love to make love, but I don't want to do it if you're going to be filled with regret in the morning and going to be angry and angry with me. You should have just halted everything at those moments and said that and then see what she said. When she was fully awake, you needed to draw her out in a conversation and communicate verbally, not just physically, to obtain her explicit verbal consent. I don't want to call what you were doing rape. 
or marital rape, although marital rape definitely exists. I do believe that there is a state of implied consent in a long-term relationship. My boyfriend does not need to obtain my verbal consent to initiate sex with me. We, we Our relationship exists in this state of implied uh, consent. I will withdraw my consent if he initiates something that I don't want to be doing or at a time I don't want to do it. But otherwise, it's always a go. That wasn't the case in this relationship you had with your wife, who was a rape survivor and very deeply conflicted. You were stomping around in a minefield and you knew it because every time you had this kind of sex, the only sex that you felt you could have, it was an ugly scene the next day. She was full of anger and regret and recriminations. Now, I can't peer into your wife's head. She enjoyed it in the moment. Many people who have religious conflicts about sex or sexual trauma will seek out relationships with uh, where this pattern exists, where they can have the sex that they want to have without having to ask for it, without seeming to consent to it, because they don't want to take any responsibility for the sex they're having. They want someone there that they can blame because they feel so negatively about sex, whether their feelings are justified or not. So it could very well be that your wife was a willing participant, grateful even, enjoyed the sex, enjoyed the orgasms, and then had a get-out-of-all-responsibility-for-her-sex-ex-free card because the next day she would come up with the, you know, toss out the accusation, say, don't do that, I don't like that, blah, 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 even though physically and in the moment her actions contradicted her statements the next day. Regardless of whether or not that was the emotional dynamic and regardless of whether that was your wife's ex-wives thought processes in those moments and, and on those days that you guys had sex, you still should have stopped. You should have gotten out of this marriage sooner. You still should not have initiated this sex if only to protect yourself from this accusation that you now stress about and wonder about all these years later. If only to sidestep this whole conflict, you should have the very first time said when she said, I didn't consent to that. That wasn't okay. Blah, blah. You said, well, in the moment it felt like, you know, you're consenting because you seemed to enjoy it. You had an orgasm. You masturbated while we made love. I'm sorry. I won't do that again. And then when you cuddled and you spooned and things started drifting in that direction, as I said at the top, the onus was on you at that moment to say, are you sure? I don't want to be in trouble tomorrow. I, I would love to make love to you, my beautiful wife, but I don't want to make love to you in this moment, in this way that has upset you in the past, if it's going to upset you that way again. And again, I don't want to call this rape. Your wife can call it rape. She's not pressing charges. She can label it hover. She wants to label it. You can label it hover. You want to label it. It was certainly dicey. And knowing that every time this happened, the next day there was this kind of, in your mind, retroactive withdrawal of consent should have been so problematic and troubling to you that you stopped initiating sex with your wife in this way, if only to avoid that conflict. I'm all over the map, I realize. This one's going to get a lot of calls, I realize. And uh, I'm just going to say now uh, to everyone else listening that if you have some thoughts for this man or feelings about his uh, situation or about anything I've said, I invite you to call and share them with us and we'll play a few other second opinions on the show next week. 
Hi, Dan. Uh, I'm just listening to your podcast about gay teens, and I had to pause, but I couldn't even finish it because uh, your caller who realized he was gay at a young age and got involved with, on the Internet with older men uh, reminded me very much of something that my brother went through. He also came out, well, realized he was gay and came out at a young age. He was 14. And even though my family was very supportive, he was sort of getting into the same kind of trouble, I don't think as badly as, as your caller. I'm not sure how far it went, but my parents did find out. And um, the solution that they came up with that worked really, really well for my brother uh, was they went to Planned Parenthood, and our area had this thing called the Rainbow Room, which I'm sure other Planned Parenthoods have, which is basically a place to meet gay teens, Um I think it's ages 14 to 21, um, and it's supervised and supportive, and I think my brother met some boyfriends there (laughs) Uh, who were his own age, which was really all that we wanted for him. Um, So look it up. Go to Planned Parenthood, uh, search for Rainbow Room, and uh, see if you can find uh, how many there are in the country. If If they aren't all over, they should be, because it really, really helped my brother out. Hi, Dan. I'm a longtime listener of the podcast and reader column, and I actually have a comment in response to the woman in podcast 177, the 36-year-old plus-size woman who was still a virgin. Um, that is me, except I'm not a virgin. <laughs> um, I'm that size, I'm that age, and I get plenty of attention from guys. And here's the thing. Guys are attracted not, I think, so much to what your body is like, but what your attitude is like. And it's just like women for men. You know, men find confidence attractive. And I believe that we inform people how to treat us by how we go into the world. And if you go into the world thinking that, you know, you suck and you look terrible and you have shame and you have an invisible kick-me sign on your back, that's how people are going to react to you, including men who you might like to, you know, fuck. So I really appreciate the advice that you gave to her about learning to own herself and own her own body and, you know, present yourself with some flair and wear bright colors and colorful jewelry and smile and, you know, wear bright red lipstick and just, you know, go into the world with some gusto. And uh, I'd also like to recommend to her, um, there's a community that I belong to on LiveJournal called Fat Shanista, F-A-P, Shanista, like Ashnista, you know, but Fat, which is for women who are plus size and we talk about clothes and talk, we post pictures of our outfits and it's a very fat positive that acceptance kind of place where we celebrate our bodies and all of their glory. And uh, I think she would like to visit. So um, I'd just like to wish her luck, and I hope she gets laid real soon. Hi, Dan. My name is Ashley. I just wanted to call with a comment and like a thumbs up for you and all the work you do on the podcast. I'm a newlywed, um, young enough that you would probably not think I should be married. But I'm happily married, but I often get emails from a well-known relationship website for newly married couples. And um, I got an email from them about sex and relationships being a newlywed and started perusing some of the boards on there. And I just got so mixed between angry and sad, but also happy because I was so angry and sad. There are so many women on there who were in relationships with horrible sexual compatibility who were having sex before they got married and it was awful and they weren't having sex and, and their husband was withholding now and now they don't know what to do because they went and married the guy and all these virgins who waited for their wedding night and now are not sexually compatible and don't know what to do and their husband is withholding and they don't know what to do about it. 
it makes me so frustrated that that's still part of our culture, but it makes me so happy that there are resources like your podcast and everything you do that tell people how important sexual compatibility is and that if somehow you get into a relationship like this, that there are ways out of it besides being unhappy, like talking about an open relationship or finding ways outside of monogamy to be happy and stay within your marriage. So thank you for all the great work you do. You've opened my mind. I'm sure you've opened other people's minds and keep working and hopefully we can open other people's minds too. Thanks for the feedback. We're going to leave it there. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast. If you'd like to give us a call and record a question or comment for a future show, please do. 206-201-2720. You download us every week at thestranger.com slash savage. I blog every day, including the Savage Love Letter of the Day at slog.thestranger.com. And me and the tech savvy at-risk youth will be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.